Looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dawaskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dawaskin. All right, Joey, thank you for that amazing introduction. Oh, so excited to be here with you on episode 11 of the Jeff Duoskin Show. Glad to have you back. Special episode today, special guest, Larry Hankin. You may know him as Mr. Heckles from Friends and a million other things that he's done over his 50-year career. So it should be to no one's surprise that today's sponsor is Brooms. Brooms, when you need to let the upstairs neighbor know they're being too loud. Brooms, we're here for you. And now, without further ado, enjoy my chat with Larry Hankin. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest with me, Larry Hankin. You know him from Friends, Breaking Bad, Seinfeld, Escape from Alcatraz, and like a hundred other TV shows and movies. Larry, welcome to the show. Well, th- thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Well, 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 my, welcome to my humble TV abode. Uh, it's so great, so great to talk to you. I, I did want to, there's a million questions and a million things I want to uh, get into at some point, but um, I did want to kind of start with... Your your roots. What well, your your start was in stand up comedy, is that correct? Yeah, stand up. I was a stand up. Well, I did puppet shows around fourteen or eleven, but but then stand up comedy. Yeah, right. But it was late in life because I, I I graduated as an industrial designer. I mean that was just too insane. So I just had to go into comedy, or go go or go insane. I mean it was that that was the choice. What was uh, the club scene like at the time? Who were some of the other people oh, around? Oh, great. And I mean, now, the, you know, back then, you it was just youth. It was just, hey, we're just hanging. But now that out of that, I mean, I was there when everybody who's famous now was was there. I mean, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Bob Dylan, and, uh, 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 well, those, I, I guess... Uh, uh, like uh, Bill Cosby started there, and uh, Richie Pryor was there, and George Carlin was there, and uh, I mean Sam Shepard was there, and uh, just everybody. Uh, yeah, uh, uh, Jimi Hendrix was there. I saw Jimi Hendrix throw up. I'll, so there's, there's my <laughs> little trivia in one of the one of the you know Monday night uh, open mics. I mean, I was like way back, way, way the hell back. So yeah, everybody, everybody w- was there. I mean, it, well, there wasn't Peter, Paul, and Mary. There was, you know, Noel Stuckey. He was a comedian. He was a stand-up comedian who then became uh, Paul, I guess. Yeah, Paul. I'm a big uh, Peter, Paul, Mary fan. I met Mary once. She was yes, actually at my yeah. house. Wow. Yeah, I think we have that in common. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, which, is, she, is, that, is she always that energetic? I mean, back in the day, she was just... Totally, always, uh, a lot of energy. Now, I don't care about what drugs or anything like that. It just was even though in in, in person she was was she like that all the time. Yeah, she was great. She she um, she spoke at my temple. And, wow. Uh, yeah. Cool. So we're uh, we got we, Very we get yeah. She spoke at our temple, and then my mom was like in charge of sort of uh, you know managing her and the speaker, you know all that kind of thing. So she was actually at my house. 
And uh, I have her autograph on my wall. And we actually went to a concert. We watched uh, a concert of theirs, and we sat backstage, and they sang Happy Birthday to My Grandpa. Um, I think on like his 70th birthday or something like that. It was oh, it was really cool. See, that, that's what I got to get, some social grace, you know? I, I'm, not, I'm not there yet, but, but you know, I'm working on it. You, you got time. Yeah, I got time. Yeah, yeah. You all got the time. time in the world. <laughs> yeah, so sure. um, how long did you do stand-up comedy for? Until I couldn't do it anymore. I mean, I just get... Uh, well, the best... Going back to Greenwich Village, which is where we were, we were living, I, my, my roommate was Carl Gottlieb. I like to talk about that. I mean, he later wrote Jaws, you know, I think three of them. Uh, among other things, he wrote with Richard Pryor and, and uh, Stephen, uh, I don't know, just a lot of comedians. But he was my roommate then, and we were just hanging. So the best part of the stand-up was uh, Monday night, night, the open mic nights, Monday night open mic nights, which were also open mic Tuesday nights, open mic Wednesday nights, you know, the slow nights. But because you only got you only got like three to five minutes, and it was hit or miss, and, and the audience was so cool. I've never met audiences that cool as the... Because they knew what they were in for. They knew, hey, it's open mic night. What, what are you expecting, you know? Jimi Hendrix? No. But yeah, he, sometimes he comes in. Uh, but so they, they're very kind. If, you, if you're like a comedian and you're bombing, quote, you know, not getting any laughs, they just sit there and wait for you to get finished. You know, no booing, no get off, no, no, nothing. They'll just stay quietly, very nicely, politely, until you get off, you know, because they know it's five minutes. You know, I got five minutes, you know. We're going gonna, gonna, gonna to be here for a couple of acts like this, but we're here. So that was kind of really great, and I got to work out really some terrible material. I mean, boring, stupid, unfunny material, uh, silly material. But I started, uh, there was a learning curve. There is a learning curve. I mean, when somebody gets a laugh, or, or, or you get a laugh, even if it's one person. I mean, if you got that streak in you, that DNA, that anger, you hear it. You hear it. It doesn't... So... Uh, I was opening in six months then. I was opening for Woody Allen, which was kind of cool, you know. So then from there, and I did that, but I was starting to get into Richie Pryor territory and and George Carlin, and we were all getting booed off the stage, except I didn't like it. So, you know, I said, hey, so I called my manager, and I said, hey, man, they're, they're booing me off stage. And then when the cops took me off the stage, that was when I drew the line. I go, okay, I'm, I'm a nice middle-class Jewish kid. At the time... I didn't know what was going on, and I wasn't into drugs yet. So I took umbrage at being pulled off the stage for cursing and talking about private parts to a Kingston Trio audience who weren't my audience. Uh, and, you know, guys come at me with beer bottles in their hand, upside down, you know, get the fuck off the stage. Whoa, you know, I go, hey, man, I can't, this is not, I thought it was fun. This is like it's becoming a job now, you know. So uh, I, I was trying to pick my, you know, trying to see, well, Ian and Sylvia, yeah, cool. You know, Miles Davis, cool. Yeah, man. But then Kingston Trio. And then when I hit St. Louis, they, they had cops come. They had a phalanx of cops, 10 policemen come down, you know, in this auditorium and pull me off the stage. Come on. I mean, this is just talk. We're just here tumbling, you know. This is not... Big deal. What are you? What are you doing, man? 
So I, I called him. I said, hey, I want to get off the... I, I, don't, I don't like this. I mean, this, I wasn't born to be an expert at, you know, dodging put beer bottles in cops. So he said, cool. He said, join Second City because they're doing the same stuff, but they own the theater. So that's what I did. And so I got off of that train uh, after about two years. But, I, you know, if I wanted to do it, I, I could have... You know, but I, I just... The middle part, that part about the cops... I mean, it was just mind-blowing. I couldn't get my head around it. I was just a middle-class Jewish kid talking about what everybody else was talking about, but not really actually understanding the power of what a comedian can do if he's kind of angry, and I was. Yeah, I still am. But I still didn't understand. I really didn't understand why the police took me off stage. It was a college audience, and they were booing. They were pulling the armrests, the wooden armrests off of these old auditorium auditorium seats, and they were throwing them at the stage, man. And then the people in the back, only the guys were doing this, by the way. Guys, <laughs> just a heads up, only the guys. The guys in the back were pulling their armrests off and passing them down for ammunition to the guys in the first two rows who ran out of ammunition. So, I mean, it was crazy, man. And the Love and Spoonful, who I were opening with, would say, no, say more, say more. They wanted a riot. They wanted a riot. And I was just trying to talk to him, but no, here comes the cops and boom. So I called him. So I joined Second City. You know, I auditioned and I joined Second City. And that's how I got into kind of acting and then a couple of us you know, bolted away and went to San Francisco, opened a committee, and then I was an actor. Bada-boom. So you did, but the, you, you just kind of uh, said the committee real fast, but the, you did that for like 10 years, yes? Oh, I loved it. That was, that was, that was my metier. That was my cup of meat, as, as a poet once said. Um, yeah, it, it was, I wanted to stay there for the rest of my life. I, that, that's, I still, to this day, would go back in a second, man, if there was a, a company that, I mean, I was so naive that they drew me in. I was I was there for I was there with Second City for maybe less than a year, and then they, <laughs> and then me and Jack Burns, who invented and wrote, uh, created um, Hee Haw, which was pretty cool, man. That's cool. I mean, yeah, that that's not bad for you know graduate of Second City. So um, me and him were the first ones fired because we were the last one hired. They had nine people on the stage. You can't improvise nine people. You don't get enough time. You gotta. Because there's no script. There's no time for you to get on. You get on when you can. So um, me and him uh, split. I went to San Francisco. He went and wrote Hee Haw. And I went to improvise for 10 years up in San Francisco. It was, a gr- it was the greatest gig ever. It's like being a comedian, only you own the stage and the audience. Because they, they are there for you, for, for the group. They're, they're there because they heard about it. Because, you know... You're not opening for an act, and I don't know who the hell you are, and it's the Kingston Trio, and you think, wow, that's going to be a big, great audience, and get the fuck off the stage. <laughs> Whoa, hold it. <laughs> so, yeah, it was great. Uh, but there was a lot of money down here. There really was. I mean, people were going because it was so close. And here's the, the, the greatest thing about it, which we didn't realize until much, many years later when we reflected, but... Here we had the committee, which were everybody knew we were an offshoot from Second City, so they had the reputation. So we go down there because we think we're hot shit, you know. And we go down to San Francisco, and we open in the first six months. I mean, if there was more people on the stage than in the audience, we didn't have to do a show. So I mean, it wasn't like da da. <laughs> so and but one night, I I, I remember, you know, forever. 
we were rehearsing all afternoon, so I hadn't been out there until an hour before the show. So I had time to run home, change my clothes, and come back and do the show. So I, I go out an hour before the show. I'm the first time outside, outside from the outside. And there's a line around the block the first time. A line around the block. So I ran back in and I got Hamilton Camp, who was one of the other actors. I said, come here, you got to see this, man. you got to see this. So I pulled him outside. He goes outside. And the, and the line goes actually around the block. It went down that way, and it came over here, around this way. So we ran the whole thing. That we, that's what we did. We did the gauntlet. We went all the way around the block, saying hello to everybody, and came around, and we went inside. And, and then we were, we, we were hit. The thing that we didn't understand about it, and that was the whole weirdness of it, was because it was only, you know, it was a, a flight. It was a half-hour airplane flight. In those days, it was $35 round trip. For an airplane from L.A. to San Francisco and back round trip, so we were and after about a year and a half we were a hit show, so that that was cool. But now we were a hit show and people in, in L.A. were really interested. What what's going on? It, it's too far to fly to Chicago, but I hear they're pretty funny. You know, let's and they're hip. You know, let's go. So everybody who if we moved down to L.A. We couldn't get to see. No way. They would fly up and see the show. And here we were in a hit show. We got the greatest, you know, audition piece, you know, that we could get to really the the heavy hitters. Laverne, Laverne, uh, I mean. uh, uh, Penny Marshall. Penny Marshall discovered me by flying up one night and going, she went back and said, there's a skinny guy in his show up there, and he's really funny. I want to dance with him on the show. They had a special show where she had a prom date. So she had to dance with a, uh, an actor. She said, well, let me dance with him. You know, he's funny. He moves funny. So I said, okay. And then I started, got it from that job, I got an agent, and then I, you know, I, I got jobs. And, uh, but it moved me down there, or else I wouldn't have gone, but... They offered you so much money. At the time, we were starving, you know, I mean, $500 a week. Well, that's good for steady, that's good for actors. For a stage actor, that's great. You know, it really is. But, you know, here, they, they give you big chunks, but then you're out of work for longer periods of time. So it kind of evens out, you know. And then you got a mortgage. And then, then when you're really rich, you got a mortgage. And then you got to get even bigger things. So, you know, it's even weird. Right, let me pull this I, up. So Penny Marshall discovered you. Your, your yeah, first she really acting did. gig she, was. She, she got me a, an agent and stuff like that. That's awesome. So your first acting gig was dancing on Laverne and Shirley. <laughs> Yo, yeah, that, awesome. and that was really that funny. Can, yeah, I, there's a story about that, which I've never. Can I tell you the, the, the story yeah, about please. that? Yeah, uh, Yeah, so she and she was for, You know, she is a, a a very good comedian, man. I mean, she really knows what she's doing. I mean, when she directed, you know. That movie and everything. Uh, okay, so she took this dance scene, and that's why she got me uh, from San Francisco to fly down, because it was really kind of intricate. She really wanted to do something funny and worthwhile. I mean, she was very serious about this dance. So she would, uh, uh, after the the rehearsal of the of the show with the talking and stuff, we would stay afterwards and we would work on it on the stage in that set. That that's the house, you know, that's their their apartment. So there's a couch there. So we're really working out on it. And then she says, well, it would be funny if you, if you drop me. You know, if we did a dip and you drop me. 
Now, she's a physical comedian. She knows how to fall. So it's not like, oh, wow, you're going to hit your head and you, you know. No, she, she's a clown also. She's very physical. So we're working on that. And then I said, you know, but it's awkward. It's awkward for me. And then, and then getting uh, up and blah, blah, blah. What if I dropped you on the couch? So then I don't have to worry about you. I don't have to worry about me. Let me do that. So we move to the couch and I go, dip, I drop her on the couch and then she, and then I fall on top of her, which was an obvious thing because you're going like that. And all, and so I did boom and I fell on top of her and I hear from the uh, bleachers, hey, what the fuck is going on? Well, uh, we're, we're rehearsing and it's her, her brother, the producer, writer of the show. She says, what are you, what are you doing? Uh, Oh, well, we're rehearsing the dance. You know, it's, I think it's tomorrow, as a matter of fact, that we're shooting it. He goes, oh, what's this touchy-feely shit going on? I go, what are you talking about? We're rehearsing a dance scene. We're not touchy-feeling anything. We're dancing. So he goes, yeah, yeah, but what's this with the couch thing? There's nothing going on. So I look at her, and she goes like this. She goes, he's my brother. <laughs> So you, so you went toe-to-toe with Gary Marshall. Okay. <laughs> with the time, was like he was like he was ruling the roost, right? With all those shows happening. I mean, but it was just, it was so, I mean, it never occurred to me. That is awesome. It, it, it never occurred to me. Wow. I mean, because in the committee, when you're improvising stuff, you mean, you got to be, and she is a, a professional, you got to be close enough with people to do stuff because it's off the top of your head. You, you, don't, you don't really sense. I mean, there, there is a censorship going on because there are rules to improvising. But, you know, you just got to go with what's going on. That's, that's the whole thing about teaching improv. So, I, you know, but yeah, it was weird. But you get that a lot. I mean, that's the whole thing of show business. That's what my book is going to be about. Those moments where you go, wait a minute, I thought this was show business. You know, wh- where where'd this come from? You know, this strange vibe. Strange vibes. I think that's what I'm going to call it, too. That's a good title. You should. And then you can say, well, yeah, I thought of the title while on the Jeff Dawaskin <laughs> yes. show. Yeah, right. You know, <laughs> Work me yeah, right into Yeah, that. I'm going to talk about this, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, I assume like in. I'm a, It's all going in. It's all I assume I'm, I'm going to be at least one chapter. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> the uh, You mentioned... Uh, earlier, uh, your your roommate or uh, one of the people, Carl. right? Carl Golly. Carl Golly. Yeah. yeah. So the, he wrote Jaws. He wrote Jaws. Well, he was writing all the time. He writes all. The, well, so do I. But but he gets a lot of money for it. Yeah. Uh, he um, yeah he got me into uh, out of going to d- designing cars and industrial design. He, I mean, in college we were buddies in college. <laughs> well. Some adventures, and um, so he said, "Hey, let's get a, a room together in uh, Greenwich Village because he wanted to write. What he wanted to start was uh, to review movies because that's an easy job in, in New York at the time uh, for these neighborhood n- newspapers, you know, like not 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 the Village Voice and stuff like that. I'm talking about, you know, maybe a hundred thousand or maybe fifty thousand, you know, people reader readers. I uh, like the Enquirer." Yeah, the, like the Inquirer, the local, the Magnet, the, you know, those things. But they reviewed them with the big timers, and that's what he wanted to do. In other words, he reviewed movies with the New York Times guys, so that's what he liked. So he said, let's go there, and I was going, I don't want to go to there. 
uh, uh, to to Detroit. So okay, so I was swabbing uh, duckboards in a bar from 2 a.m. till 6 a.m. when they let me out, and he was uh, reviewing movies. Uh, he would steal, you know, those uh, cold shrimp they serve, you know, with a little wine before you go into the movie. They serve the reviewers just to fill their stomach and get them a little tipsy so they like the sure, movie. Sure. So those were cold shrimp. What he would do, because I was starving, I wouldn't get enough to actually chip in for the rent. I would chip in whatever I could. You know. So he would get, and they had napkins in those days, not, not paper napkins. They had linen napkins in those days. He would grab a handful of those cold shrimp, put it in a linen napkin, put it in a pocket in his suit, because he wore, wore a suit to review movies at least three to four times a week. And that was me by dinner. And then, uh, he, so he would bring it home to me. And then uh, after two months of doing that, he, he quit. He said, I can't do this anymore. I thought, oh, wow, he got caught or he's embarrassed. I, see. I said, why? He goes, my suit is starting to smell of shrimp, man. That's awful. <laughs> this is the only, shrimp, the only suit he had. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I'm starving, man. Your suit or me? What is it? <laughs> So Carl fed you contraband, uh, con- contraband, cold contraband, tra- contraband trafe. Contraband trafe. And I saved the, the, what I would do just to put it in his space. I would save the napkins. I would be hanging them all over. We got about 30 or 40. They were just all over. I could use them for rags and stuff like that or whatever. But yeah, but I hung them all over the place. I wouldn't throw them out. <laughs> that's, that's just funny. That's awesome, a, that he... Yeah, five, uh, five flat walk up, you know, five did, five story walk up. Did, wasn't Howard Hessman part of one of your earlier crews? Oh yeah, uh, the committee. Yeah, so he was a bartender. He was a bartender right around the corner from the from the committee. He auditioned for the committee. He wasn't with the gang of uh, one, two, three, four of us who went with Alan Myers and the director to San Francisco. No, we auditioned him. He was an actor in San Francisco. He was a San Francisco actor, a funny guy. He's a great guy. Uh, we were buddies for a long time, very close friends for a long time. Uh, and, and now, you know, everybody gets grow up and you go their own ways. But during the, those times, we would do a lot of scenes together. Why? What, do you know anything? Any news about him? I know, I know he's Dr. Johnny Fever. So. Oh, yeah. He was great in that. <laughs> uh, there you go. Right. right. Yeah, but what else do you need? Then? <laughs> WKRP. WKRP, exactly. But he always wanted to do that. He, I, he always, there was nothing I always wanted to do. That was the difference between Carl and Howard and me. That was the, th- the three of us were very close friends. It's interesting that you just brought that, that up. But yeah, but I was the only one who didn't want to do anything. Well, whatever I was doing, I was okay. You know, if I was starving for a while, I was okay. Yeah, you know, I lived in my car for a year. I was okay. Uh, you know, I mean, there's hard times when you're doing it and you wish you weren't there. But, you know, you get through it, you know, and then after it's over, you say, oh, yeah, no sweat, you know. Uh, but they, you get great stories. That's what I was trying. I was trying to burn off the whole fact that this guy came, came at me with a beer bottle upside down way back in the day before I was opening for Woody Allen. That guy, I was trying to burn that middle classness off so I knew why he was coming at me with him. It bothered me that, why? I, I just said words. I don't understand. Why are you coming at me? I didn't do anything to you. It, it's haunted me all my life, that, that image of somebody. What? I, I don't even know you. You don't know how badass I could be. Maybe. I don't, I don't know myself, but that's another, 
that's another discussion. A lot of people live just to be triggered. It's just the way it is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I so, so. Uh, yeah. I, um, I did. So you mentioned you lived. I'm in trying your to get car. there. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned you lived in your car. I was looking at your IMDb, IMDb page, yeah. and I noticed um, homeless guy. Yeah, there <laughs> comes you go. Up about seven times at least. Uh, so it's. Uh, sure it is. Yeah. I'll get there yet. I'll get there yeah. yet. Um, no, I, I, I write about that because I did spend uh, a year homeless. I didn't do it on purpose. I mean, it, it was a bit of procrastination on my part, a bit of, oh, I didn't remember to mail you the thing, and, and oh, I was having such a good time where I was. And so, but, and, and a crazy landlady. I, literally, I'm not talking, that's not, uh, what, gilding the lily? Yeah, I mean, she never combed her hair. That, that was the dead giveaway, but her husband actually told me that. Um, when I came back from New York, somebody had hired me to go to New York for three weeks, and I was living on a, a houseboat for $100 a month. Uh, there was nothing on it. It was an empty... You know those LSTs that landed on Omaha Beach where the, the, the front goes down and these guys <laughs> march out? <laughs> that, I was living on one of those. What they did was they left the duck boards that the guys, because the, the bottom is like this, they left the duck boards there, they painted it, they whitewashed it, they didn't paint it white, they whitewashed the inside, so the gunnels are up to here. So now you're standing in it floating. But then what they did is they put wood up here, inserted windows, and then they put a flat roof on it, tar paper over that, shoved it out about 50 yards out into San Francisco Bay, you know, put an anchor out, put a wire from the dock, one wire, one wire, from the dock to an antenna that went down, and then you could plug whatever you wanted into that. Well, if you can get a, you know, a couple of sockets on there, that would be fine. And you lived in there, it was a little pallet. If you, if you had a mattress and, and some bedclothes, you could sleep on it. And that was it, that was it, you know. So I, and then, so I went to New York for... I don't know. I got, oh, yeah, it was for three weeks. So I could be back. I could row in and pay her the rent. Oh, it's cash. I had no, no contract, no nothing. $100 every month. Row in, row, row back out. Uh, it was uh, like a Central Park rowboat, an old one. So I'd row out. And then when I came back, everything in my little LST was, or LSD was was gone. So I went to the little cottage that was it was a very funky it was a junkyard it was off the coast of a junkyard and this pier was part of the junkyard and on the pier was a cottage which was part of the junkyard and in it was a crazy lady who was part of the junkyard and she never combed her hair and when I went up and knocked on the door to say where is my crap a man answered for the first time I've ever seen him I didn't, he was in he was in pajamas he had a wife beater t-shirt slippers I go, where, where, where's the lady who lives here? She says, oh, you're the guy in that boat. I go, yeah, where, where is she? Where is she? I got to pay her. Where's my stuff? He goes, oh, well, she rode out a couple of nights ago and uh, threw everything overboard. What do you mean? Well, I, you know, I got the cash here. I was going to give you a tip, everything. He says, no, well, uh, where is she? Let me talk to her. No, she's at the doctor now. You know, she's a sick lady. She's very crazy. I go, yeah, I guess. So it's overboard, right? Yeah, so that's how I became homeless. So, and that's why I write about it, because I was out there for a year. 
living in this VW bus that I drove around in. Yeah, it's kind of exciting. So that's why I take these homeless parts because I suddenly realized I'm a funny guy, or at least that's what I think I am. And uh, no, I know I am. And um, Charlie Chaplin, who I loved when I was growing up as a little kid, um, he was um, he was homeless. Nobody ever talks about that. They call him a little tramp and how cute. Now people are homeless and they're very ugly. I, I, I never got the jump. So I'm trying to put it back on its track. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I took those jobs. Trying to give it a good face. <laughs> Resurrect an old, you know, joke. For it's sure. just a joke, man. We're just kidding around. Although what he would do to Homo sapiens is quite horrible. Charlie Chaplin didn't treat people that he didn't like very well. But anyway, no. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to do it. We'll do another episode on Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the true story. The um, I did uh, want to ask uh, one. Uh, this is just a, for a personal thing. But uh, Alf, you were on an episode of Alf. Oh, did you get to meet yeah. Alf? What? <laughs> Oh, but no, but I did something great on that. I loved that because I had to dive headfirst through an open window. That was great. Did you ever see that episode? Alf? I was. I, or did I you have, watch? I must have some recollection of it. I know you were a. Uh, but I mean, I watched all of it growing up, and like that's why I was like excited. I, I was, was like, a thief. <laughs> I broke into a bedroom. Yeah. I was well dressed in black, and I stole something. And then they they woke up, and I dove headfirst, even even hands first. Dove out out the window, and it was it was great. They had a mattress out there, you know. But I I loved doing you know like stunts. I loved that, you know, especially in my younger days, in my in my silver days, I guess. <laughs> in my youth, yeah. Uh, but uh, Alf was really weird. I mean, that puppet was really something else. Always behind the couch. I, I always saw when I watched that. No matter what, you know, I, I watched it. It was it's kind of fun, fun, kind of a funny show. I mean, I did it, but I would watch it when I would watch it at home. I mean, I always just was was watching the guy behind the couch. That's you know, I, I, I all I saw was a hand with a funny thing on it, but but it was, it was a guy crouching and doing this and talking funny, <laughs> cock talking funny. And that's what drove me to watching the show was the imagine the imagined discomfort of the guy behind the couch. I love it. I yeah, just one of those. Um, okay, so let's see. Uh, you were in another one of my favorite. That movies was a personal question. That was a well, it's me personal. Like I'm, I'm sure, like when you do interviews, it's you know Mr. Heckles and you know Tom Pepper and like let's cover Elf. You yeah, know? <laughs> just yeah. I didn't think it was in the. I thank you for it, and Elf yeah. thanks you for it. Thank yeah, you I just much. figured <laughs> there's a few personal ones in there, like yeah. uh, you know, like Running Scared. You were in Running Scared, oh, which was one was, of my favorite oh. movies ever. We used to just walk around going, oh, now, no, it's Ipswich," <laughs> Like imitating uh, Billy Crystal and Gregory okay, Hines. I mean, I, they were amazing. Well, Gregory Hines is, is amazing. We had a thing going. Not a good thing, a bad thing going. But it was all sub rosa. It was all passive aggressive. Because I assume a lot. Because I'm dyslexic. I am. I'm dyslexic. I have OCD, ADHD, and dyslexia. So, you know, it gives me great life experiences. Let me put it that way. And so... Um, I kind of liked him. I looked up to him being in that show, in that, that movie. Uh, and so I was I was a taxi driver, something like that. And there was one scene where it was um, me and him 
And who's the the other uh, cop? His partner, uh, Billy Crystal. Billy Crystal. Yeah, uh, names. Well, so me. So he really didn't have any lines, and I and I give him for being a professional actor. So we're 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 supposed to be talking right next to the taxi cab. So I'm talking, and Billy Crystal is talking, and he's listening. And what I'm talking about is fixing up the cab so they can drive it. I'm the I'm the I'm the police in the police pool of fixing cars so they look funky and real, so that the cops can you know spy on people and not be spotted. So I'm explaining to him how I you know don't worry about the windows and I'll fog them up and I'll bend the, I'll bend the fender and don't worry about it and don't worry. I mean he's just listening, and at one point he's not saying anything. He just leaves it to Crystal. He looks at me, he looks at Crystal, and he walks away, turns his back on me and the camera and the scene, and he just walks away, directly away, on camera the whole time, walking away. So he's walking all the way down the end, down in the garage. Okay, so I thought that was rude. He walked out on my scene. That, that's what I thought, you know. It's my scene, and he walked out. Okay, so then there's an, uh, cut to another movie, uh, and that one was, uh, he was in it too. And so I assumed that we had a relationship because we did another movie. We did that scene with Billy Crystal. I assumed he knew me and we were pals. So no, no big deal. Okay, and it's under a bridge and there's me and there's the guy who is in, um, oh, you know, Back to the Future, the, the white-haired guy. Um, Christopher Lloyd. There you go. I see. And, you know, <laughs> well. Um, okay, so Crystal, Christopher Lloyd was the lead. So Christopher, or he, he was he was in it anyway. So I'm doing a scene between um, me and him and Christopher Lloyd, and I have a gun and I'm threatening Christopher Lloyd and him. I have a gun, so I'm, I'm a crazy guy and they're trying to calm me down. So the scene is over and in the middle of the scene it starts to rain, just very lightly. But the director said, All right, let's just hold it right here. Let's, let's finish the scene. Everybody, let's walk back to the Winnebago's, which is about uh, 50 yards away. So everybody goes. So I start to walk, and all of a sudden this car pulls up, this limo, and uh, somebody says, where is, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, it's, it's, it's his car. Um, oh, shit. I'm not paying attention. This is going crazy. The guy with Christopher Lloyd and me is who we were talking about. That um, uh, Hines. Yeah, him. It's his car. And I go, oh, where is he? And I go, well, he's back there. He's talking to the director, but he's just going back to the Winnebago's. He goes, yeah. I said, all right. Can, can I get in? He goes, yeah, sure. It's a chauffeur. So I get in. And I'm sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting. And then Gregory Hines gets in. And he's like, what? What are you doing in here? I go, oh, you know, I just want to, it's raining, you know. And he goes, you're really going to sit in, in, in my limousine? And he's not, you're not saying what he's thinking. He's trying to keep it in. You're, you're really going to sit in here? Yeah. Well, you know, to me, it's a car and transportation and it's raining. I mean, I really don't see it any other way. It's not like I'm being rude. I'm just looking for help. He goes, you know what? He says, let's all walk in the rain. Come on. And he gets out and he walks in the rain with me. Now, 
I understand the ridiculousness of passive aggressiveness, but that about <laughs> tops the cake. So the limousine drives empty back to the Winnebago, and me and him walk in the rain together. And I thought, wow, man, how angry can you get and not be funny? <laughs> wow. Okay, but that's my little Gregory Hines story, you know. That was, Sorry, that was Gregory, a good story. If I, if I forgot your name for a second, okay? Okay? You probably don't even know mine. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> that guy was in the taxi scene with me and Billy Crystal. Well, who was he? Yeah, okay. It, 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 I think he passed away, so I think I, I don't think oh, he'll okay. hear this. Yeah, He was a good tap dancer. I'll give him that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not that if he were still alive. So good dance man. Great. Great. Yeah, he was he was very talented and a fairly good actor. But but I but I hate the way he treated you. <laughs> Thank you for that. For that, I'll never. I'm never. <laughs> I'm it's never just going to make me funnier. That's all yeah. it is. It's going to make me funny. That I cannot deal. The um, so what what would you consider or what would you say is uh, would be your worst experience you ever had <laughs> or like just do you regret doing the worst was. Well, there's a several different ramifications. <laughs> In other words, here's, here's the worst experience, and that didn't turn out very well for me at all. There's a worst experience that actually, uh, hey, you know, it turned out better than I thought. And here's an experience that just blew my mind. Um, I guess the worst experience, I guess, is just being fired on the spot <laughs> because oh, yeah. of my sass. <laughs> Uh, and that was with, uh, I can't remember the name of the movie, but Jane Fonda was the star, and Alan Meyerson from the committee directed the movie, and it was about a Catalina airplane, which I thought was a great airplane. I'm, I'm really a fan of the Second World War aircraft. And the Catalina was, uh, uh, it landed on the water, and it was really cool looking. Uh, and the movie was about that, but it was Jane Fonda, she was a hooker in it. Uh, it was uh, uh, one word, something like uh, like Honda or something like that. It wasn't that, but it was one word. And it wasn't Hooker either. But she was a hooker in it. And uh, and she had just gotten the Academy Award. I guess that's why she wanted to, you know, put a twist on it. Anyway, I showed up, and I always do this. I mean, it's just a habit with me. Whenever I show up, uh, as a working actor, you know, regular and stuff, the first thing I do is when you get on the set, you know, you show up, and, and then you see... Uh, an AD. Where's the AD? He gives the instructions as the, the assistant director. Where's the AD? He's over there. Hi, I'm Larry Hankin. I'm here. I got this part. What's going on? Okay, your, your dressing room is there. Your costume is in your dressing room. That's the standard procedure. If he doesn't say your costume is in your dressing room, I go to the costume thing first. The reason I do that is because you can influence how you look only then. If it's in your dressing room, everything's cut and dry, you're nailed. What they put in there, you got to put on. And there's really a badass time trying to get it changed. It's not worth it. So I go there and I ask the lady, I say, can I, I'm Larry Hankin, I'm the, uh, the, the uh, I don't know what the hell I was. I was a mechanic. I'm a mechanic. Can I go, yeah, yeah, your stuff is over there. They're all right with it. They, they like the actors to kind of get involved. So I'm going through, there's a whole rack and I'm going through, and there's this lady standing next to me, and I go, oh, hi. And I just ignore her. And then she goes, what are you doing here? 
Oh, I'm just, uh, well, you know, looking through my stuff. This is mine. You know, I'm Larry Hankin, and I'm in the movie, and I'm, this is my stuff that I wear, and I'm trying to pick out my thing. Did anybody even give you permission to be in here? Yeah, that lady over there. Well, you're not supposed to be here. You're an actor. You're not supposed to be here. Oh, really? Well, I think uh, I got permission. So, And I start to get an attitude because I don't know who the hell she is. And she's standing there with her arms crossed, which is an attitude to me. And she's in blah, 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 blah. And I said, look, wait a minute. Hold it. Just a second. Who are you? And she says, I'm the producer of the movie and you're fired. Boom. And then she walked <laughs> no. away. Now, that's the worst <laughs> moment of my life. So I go, what? And I needed the money. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a star. I'm just, you know, a member of the cast. That's all. I'm, I'm servicing the big plane there. I'm just a guy working on the thing. So I go to Alan Meyerson, who's the director of the movie, who was also my director in the committee. And the reason that I'm there is they hired the committee and the director to move it, to, to, to direct the movie. And five of his actors in the company to be in the thing. So... And I'm at a loss because there's nobody I can go to. So I go to Alan and I go, hey, Alan. He says, you're early. You're not supposed to hear, be here for another two hours. I'm shooting this scene. What do you want? You know, like I'm bothering him. So I go, no, no, I've just been fired. What do you mean you've been fired? You know, you, you're going to shoot a scene in two, two hours. I can't get another actor. You got lines. What are you, what are you talking about? Well, she fired me. I was in there. You know, they explained the whole thing. He's got to, sorry, hold it just a second. Now he's got to leave the camera and he's got to go find the director, find the producers. And he's been, he finally comes back, so now he's got something on me. Okay, I got you the job back, but now you fucking owe me, Larry. Get back in there. You know, okay, so that, that's, the, that's the worst time. But I do that all the time. I mean, that's the story of my life. If you really want to give it, that's kind of the big picture. But I, you know, but I was in it and I'm still an actor and, I'm talking to you, you know, thank you very much. See, so, oh, hey, so it turned you. out okay. So it turned yeah, out yeah. all set, man. So, so, you know, so it wasn't so bad. Yeah, who knows? Had you not been fired, we may not be talking yes, today. Yes, exactly. That's exactly yes, what I'm but... saying. That's my point. My exactly. point exactly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm listening. Like, That's really great. Um, thank goodness. Yeah, but, but so my book, I really am writing a book, and it's about... I guess the, the couple of stories that I just told you in, in, in too much detail is stories that happened to me on the set. It's It has nothing to do with the movie that I'm in. It's what I'm doing with the people involved in making the movie. That's where my concentration is because I'm still a stand-up comedian and I'm still angry. So I'm paying attention to like the best people on on the entire set. I never pay attention to the stars. It's the crew. The guys, the guys who are, you know, lugging the lights around and saying, oh, my God, that just fell. What will we do? And the crew solves it. The director doesn't solve it. The writer doesn't solve it. The star certainly doesn't solve it. The crew solves it. They come in with paper clips and duct tape and they, and they just cobble together. I've seen it on show after show. Where, oh, my God, it broke. What are we? The shark on Jaws. That's the crew. Because you know, it's a bit famous story, right? The shark didn't right, right, work, right. right? Okay, but they had to dub in something. So, okay, the shark didn't work, you know? What do we do? Get the crew in here. You know, Jerry rig it. You know, it was put it with... I mean, Carl was my roommate. I mean, he told me all about the shark. He calls it the, the fish story, the fish movie. I mean, but what they were doing to try to get that shark to work, that's the crew. They, they never get mentioned anywhere, but that's who I pay attention to. 
That crew did a great job because it, yeah. it's still to this yeah. day but it, holds but up it as one work. of the best movies ever. Yeah, oh, yeah. It, it's an amazing movie. I watched it the other night. Holy cow, is that a good movie? Wow. I'm, I'm you know, I don't know if you're serious, but I certainly am. Oh, I'm dead serious. Yeah, I, every time I, I watch I, it, I'm like, that could have been good. made now. It doesn't it doesn't yeah. it doesn't feel like it was made decades ago or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean it those. follows all the rules and yet it's like the camera moves alone. I mean, just in a simple scene, you know, God, you know, because I make, you know, little funny movies, you know, <laughs> so I'm, I pay attention to that stuff. But yeah, it, it is something else. No wonder he's Steve Spielberg. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> yeah. I get it. I get it. You know, but when I first saw it, you know, it first came out, I just said, wow, what a great movie. But I didn't know why, you know, it was just I was an audience, you know, whoa. Yeah, it's uh, it's fabulous. The uh, it went downhill a little bit with the uh, Michael Caine when he got <laughs> later on. I don't know if Carl wrote those later episodes. Or, oh, oh, you mean the, the second and third movies? <laughs> yeah, like oh the, no, no, he doesn't even yeah. talk about them. <laughs> no, I know. I mean, I heard him once talk about the second movie. Uh, they well, yeah, just to protect Carl. Um, they didn't want Carl to write the second movie. They wanted to just do it all new, just fresh, you know, just a whole new take. And in the middle of the second movie, after they, the script was written and they had started the movie, they, I think they were like maybe 10 days into it, they fired the director. I mean, it was just going down the tubes, man. I mean, the script wasn't... So they called Carl in. It's an emergency. I mean, if ten, you're 10 days into a movie? That's crazy. The money... That, okay, so anyway, they called him in. So now they're on his back. Now that he's the writer and he wrote this huge, I mean, with, you know, with the writer of the book. <laughs> and he had the book. Right. But, you know, so they were on his back and he was forced. So the only person that he could pay attention to was the, um, the Schneider's uh, movie, Scheider's, right, Scheider. uh, Scheider's part because you have to, when you're writing a new screenplay, because the old one was just unserviceable, you have to take, as a writer, you have to make backstories of all the characters and then do a character arc of all the characters in those kind of movies. You can't just knock them off. There's a whole creation thing that they do in big tentpole movies, and that was going to be one. So he only had time to write one part from beginning to end you know, the star part. And the others were just fill-ins. So, and uh, he said he was under, you can imagine the pressure because it's not only him, but it's building stuff. And so he was under a lot of pressure and he didn't have enough time, blah, blah, blah. And then he just wouldn't do the others, I think. I don't know. He just, it's too crazy. But yeah, but that's how move, some movies get made. I remember that there's a Roger, famous Roger Corman story where, um, uh, the, the producer came up to him. He was doing, you know, really before he was became Roger Corman, where he was knocking out these uh, two-week wonders and ten days, maybe. Uh, so the producer came up to him for one of those, one of those. I think it was a biker movie, I think. And uh, it comes up to him and says, you know, he says, you're, you're three-quarters of the way into the first day, and you're three days behind already. So Roger Corman, who was the director of this, takes the script. He goes, randomly, he goes, three pages, back on schedule. (laughs) 
Yeah. And no one noticed. And no one noticed, right? <laughs> Least of all yeah. him. Least of all the producer. But Jaws, Jaws was a big deal in the sense that it was the first blockbuster. It changed pretty much everything. I mean, oh, so yeah, Carl to man. be involved and I, with that particular movie was... Though I saw it when I was you know, younger, when I saw it, like I'm, I'm talking about last week, I was fully impressed. I was knocked over. So you're, you're totally right. I cannot argue. I, I was just amazed that I didn't see what I was seeing when I, when I was a young guy, you know. So it was totally different. Uh, and I was surprised at how different it, it was. That you know, I mean, I guess I learned a lot. You know, being in movies and trying to write them. I'm trying to write a screenplay now. It's just oh, wow, man. There's just a lot of rules and don't do this and do that and got to be by page 25. There was one a comedian, a Gold. What's his name? Gold. I don't know. I like still. I still like stand up guys. But he's a writer now. He's a screen a television writer. And he can watch a movie. He was saying the other day, he can, with his watch, he can tell them what page they're on. By oh, right, right. Because oh, like just, 10 minutes in. The 10 minutes right, in. 10 yes, minutes right, in, it's like that event has to happen. Like, that changes oh, God, bitch, the story. This is page yeah. 25. Like yeah. That. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I, he, I he works that. a lot because of that. Because he's got that, you know, it's always in his head now. He doesn't need right. a watch. I mean, he can just say 25 minutes right here. <laughs> right, everything's so actually formulaic. Boom, and like, boom, and people boom. just don't even I mentioned that it's... to Carl. Oh, like, uh, what's his name? Um, McKee, you know, the writer guy, Robert McKee. Um, I mentioned it to him because, you know, I want to learn to write. So I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I got, a, I got a, a webinar with him uh, later in the week with McKee. And... Um, so I mentioned that bragging to Carl, who's you know written all these movies. Say, hey, you know I'm 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 studying with McKee. Says, oh him, and he just totally bugabooed him, you know. Oh the the master of the 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 man that killed the three act drama. Whoa, hey. whoa, yeah. I mean Woody Allen studied with him. You know, come on, man. Well, I'm sorry, man. You know, and then he went on a long diatribe on why uh, uh, McGee caused all this this problem. Well, you wrote Jaws, man, and I, I I argued with him. I was saying, look, man, what are you talking about? Jaws is three acts. No, it isn't. Oh, it's two acts: the shore and land and the sea. Well, that's right. But then, of course, and then I go, well, it could be a five act. He said, well, of course, because it's little pods of things. And he goes, you know, you can make, a, you can take a screenplay and divide it up any way you want, man. If it's a great story, you're gonna like it, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's what they do. They, yeah. oh, it's a, it's a two, it's a two act. It's land and sea. No, it's a five act. No, it's a three act. No, it's a no act. It's just a great story. And that's what I'm studying now. It's, man, you know, come on. It's great. Do you I have guess, a kind of yeah. story that you want to do? A story? I mean, like, right, do you, with the script? Well, you, you know, the, uh, you know what I did? I just discovered something. I don't know, you guys writing scripts. But, you know, they always tell you, you know, to rewrite it, put it in a drawer and go away. I mean, it's true. You know, I've always had a bugaboo of, you know, oh, don't tell me that. You know, I like to learn it by myself. I, it's, it's a long way around. But, I mean, there's just so much crap out there that I thought, let me just learn by the, my mistakes, you know. Because I, I, I can, I sense, you know, errors. I sense errors. I, I, I hope, to, to, I'd like to think that. 
So um, I, I, I'm reading all these things, and then I wrote this screenplay. All right, I, it worked a long time, two or three months. Well, I made use of the COVID time, you know, just locked in a room. <laughs> I'll write a screenplay. So I got it, but then, you know, and I got it, and I try to, you know, do all the things that I've heard on the sets and blah, 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 and the three-act thing and the character work and blah, 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 and putting it together. And then I get it together, and then everybody say, well, you know, don't hand it to anybody until you get a professional to read it, man. I don't know, man. I, you know, I know I'm a funny guy. I know it's good. I'm, I'm intelligent. I can read it. I read it, you know, several times to get rid of the, what do you call it, typos. Because they, that's, they really get sore about that. They really do. Typos. Ooh. Yeah, but if it's an interesting story, I mean, no, it's the typos. So I read it like five times, getting rid of the typos, which that's, that's one thing. Hire somebody. Don't do it yourself. But I read it five times, so I thought, well, I read it enough to see that it's good enough to hand to somebody without handing it to a professional person, you know, trusting myself. So I do, and then it didn't get, didn't get the reaction I wanted, so I... I waited for a while because I didn't want to read it again because I had read it enough. Months later, I read it and I go, oh, I see what I wrote. My point being that you don't know what you're writing until you write it. In other words, then you see the whole thing. And I didn't know. It's like guy come at me with the beer bottle. I didn't know what was going on. I just didn't know why he was coming at me. It took me years to get all of this. No, man, he hated you because you were against his lifestyle and his wife was here and were with her mother. And, you know, all that stuff. So, but when I read the screenplay that I had written and read five times after about a month and a half, I, I saw this whole new thing. And then I read the stuff that, you know, they're trying to teach me. And I go, well, you know, he's, you got a point. So it's, it's really interesting that looking back is not a bad thing in a way, especially if your own art, you know, I mean, it's called, I guess it's called the third eye. It's just another way, I mean, it's, it's drugs, it's, I don't know, getting your mother-in-law to look at it, getting a professional <laughs> to look at it. You know, just somebody, it doesn't, you know, that's the other thing about getting, uh, nobody talks about getting how to receive criticism. They'll talk about, well, there's this way of writing a screenplay and that way of writing a screenplay and this and the rules and this. But everybody that I hand it to, you know, just four or five people, they all are saying the same thing but totally different. One person is just kind of angry that he had to what, read this claptrap. Another person thinks it's really great, just change the first scene. And, and then all the stuff in between and how I'm supposed to react to that. And there's nobody to say, well, you know how you should react to getting criticism. First of all, if you hand it to somebody, you got to expect they're going to say something. Or why are you handing it? You're expecting it to, to come back at you. And then if it's not the way you like it, you know, all of a sudden you get all twisted underpants kind of thing. You know, I don't know. So, th so that's an interesting thing I learned about that, receiving criticism, you know, and something you work That's a great lesson. On. Yeah, it is. Lesson. It really is, man. I mean, and, and then picking out the, 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 the fruit among the weeds, the, the flowers among the weeds. In other words, there was this lady, uh, actually, she was a professional. She was a paid professional. Uh, worked for uh, Quentin Tarantino's company. She read it. And she gave me, you know, some advice. She said, hey, you know, why don't you do this and do this and this? I, yeah, it was, and it's, no, if you, if you make it funny, it'll, it'll, it's fine. But the way she said it was, I saw, I saw that she was covering up for her job, too. 
In other words, she was she was only focusing on the thing that she'd been hired from Quentin Tarantino's company to look for. It's you know Quentin Quentin Tarantino type movies. That's right. what she's looking for. And they have a production company because Quentin Tarantino Quentin Tarantino's more money coming in they can hope to spend. So he just okay. And I noticed that she was lauding the things that were Quentin Tarantino esque and saying that you should write rewrite this part because it wasn't like that at all. So she was picking out stuff that she had trained to look be trained to look for. So as a as a as a criticism getter receiver, I learned to look out for their bias. That's what you gotta look out for. The bias, not not only the good and the bad things that they're saying, but the bias is why they're saying it. And so that that was something I learned. Oh right, the the judges. Yeah, the judges' insight. And yeah, anyway, so so like that. You know, that's what I. Right. That's what I wanted to talk about. All right. So. And uh, getting. Tell even. me if I. Did it, if, if, if I hit a, a record yet, we're about to hit an hour, and, and I haven't brought up Mr. Huckles. Is that a record? Oh, wow. That's <laughs> yes. Wow. And you've been holding it close to the vest all this time. That is amazing. It's very nice. Yeah, Mr. Huckles. Well, it, it, it blows my mind. It, it, it really does. It's a, it's a wonder. Uh, because, again, you don't know what is a hit and what's a miss. You just don't know, um, but I, you know I'm on I'm on cameo. I I uh, you know I send uh, you know I graduation greetings and birthday greetings and wedding greetings. You know hi this is Mr. Uh, well you know or whoever uh, uh, old Joe or uh, uh, Tom Pepper. So, but when they get when they get excited about that, I, I still don't understand it. Really, or or the power that Mr. Heckles had, because when I did it, n- nobody knew about that. You know, uh, when I did it in the beginning, I, it was before they were on the air, so they were just equal to me. You know, the, the friends, they were just. I was high. What they did was they they wrote, whoever wrote six episodes, six scripts, and then they shot six scripts. This is before it went on the air, before they advertised. So they had, nobody knew anything. And I asked, I said, well, well, because I, ultimately I was on the third one. But at the time I didn't know, so I wanted to know. So I said, I, I hear they're shooting six. They go, yeah. Well, I'm in one of them, yeah. Well, we, when, when will mine be on? So I can tell my parents, you know. She said, well, we don't know. What we're going to do is shoot all of them and then watch them and then the best one we'll make is the first one because and then the others will put in some sort of order so so i i I didn't know uh but from there now i'm 99 percent of the messages that i get on cameo from from that from mr heckles 99 percent i mean i can just and and i get a lot of day you know, and I, and I do them on, on this. You know, on this. Oh, I see. I'm showing it to you. Yeah, sure, you're right, so. <laughs> hey, can't you Larry's, see this? Larry's holding you up. A, Larry's holding up a phone. <laughs> I was listening. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. So, so uh, I do it on the phone, 
Yeah, so I get a lot. I do that in the, in, in the morning. And, uh, but I, I'm still filled with wonderment. I did that like over 10 years ago. And, and uh, not only that, it's a second generation. In other words, I get male kids about 17 or 18 saying, hey, could you please say happy birthday to my girlfriend? She's going to be 17 next week. I go, what does she do? And then I meet some woman, this older woman, uh, on this on the street. Who says, oh, I love your work. Uh, oh, oh, who? What? What work? He goes, Mr. Heckles. And I go, what are you doing watching Mr. Heckles? You know? She says, oh, I watch it with my daughter. So there's two generations. Yeah, because sometimes I get a, a guy saying, you know, my wife, she's going to be uh, 50 today, or yesterday, or next week. You know, I wish her she's a big Friends fan. They're all experts, by the way. She said, my, my girlfriend, who's the best expert trivia on Friends ever, I mean, that everyone, even my, my wife, who is the, knows more about Friends than anybody on earth, and they're all women. No guy knows anything about Friends, no, not one, except that his girlfriend or his wife loves it. <laughs> oh, she we, falls uh... asleep to it. So, yeah, yeah, my wife is obsessed with Friends. There you go. There so, you like, go. We, when it was, when it was on Netflix, I speak truth. Of course, yeah, <laughs> the gospel. The when it was on Netflix, uh, she falls asleep to the TV. So yes. we would we would watch it nonstop. Yes, and yes nonstop. Yes. We still do. I can't tell yes. you how many times. Yes, I can't tell you. Yeah. I watched it the other night. Somebody sent me a reel of Mr. Heckle's, you know, spit takes and, you know, punchlines. It it's about, I don't know, seven minutes. And it's great. It's great, man. I mean, I did that. I mean, the timing. Heckle's timing is great sometimes. Sometimes. Sometimes it is. But, yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. And, but well, women think it's cute. They say it's cute. Oh, he's so cute. No, man, I was acting my ass off. What are you talking about? I wasn't getting along with anybody. I was arguing with the producers. And you think it's cute? No way, man. No, it's, it's good. I think it's, it's good. It's not bad. Uh, let me say that. It's not bad. It's not bad. But I don't understand. You know, it, there's a lot of stuff that blows. I mean, I guess that's why I'm a, I'm a stand-up comedian. I'm, I'm angry and I don't get it, man. I think that's going to be on my tombstone. I didn't get it. I know. I mean, you know, we're Homo sapiens, and we're doing stupid things. I mean, we're a species. Come on, man. Let's face it. Let's get it. What are you doing? What are you putting mercury in the water? Why are you doing that? Why are you putting children in cages? Why are you making atomic bombs? Why are you doing this? Why are you fighting? Don't fight. Be sociable. Be nice. I don't. I don't get it. I just don't get it. Why don't you take care of people? Why don't you give first responders enough mask? Why don't you? What, what's the matter with you? Don't you understand that? Why did you vote for him? What's? I don't. You're Homo sapiens. The lions don't do this, but we're killing all them. Why are you doing that? Why are you killing all the elephants? Huh? Why are you overfishing? Why are you doing that? What animals? Do, all right. <laughs> That was not a Mr. Heckle's rant, I'll tell you. <laughs> Sir, man, that was me. No. I don't get it. <laughs> no. It was a brilliant... You were brilliant as Mr. Heckle's. I mean, yeah, like... that's cool. I mean, man. it really was. I mean, that's why, like, 
Because when I was looking up and I saw that you were only played Mr. Heckles five times, okay, yeah. like it blows I was my like, mind. no way. That there was only you five go. Times, All right. right, there's the first guy who like, okay, you're not a fan. Great. All right, there you go. That that's an insight, man. Yes, five times. I am where you are. <laughs> yes, I don't get but it. Again. I just don't get it. I mean, it's very yeah. nice. It's very nice, but I don't. I can't. I don't want to. You know, I, I can't listen. You know who who George Reeves was? Mm-hmm. Superman. Do, do, does it strike any bell with you? Oh, why I said that? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what happened to him? <laughs> yeah, I think he yeah. killed himself. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I so I, I go to sleep every night. You know, it's what gets me up in the morning. <laughs> well, yeah, I've gone to bed. Uh, to you and friends. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to bed to, I could have cats. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, I say that all the time. I say that like, you know, 17 times a day. Yeah, right. They give me scripts. They give, they give me scripts. Now, look, I'm a fan of certain people, but I'm a fan of Michelangelo, of, of you know, ah, Picasso. Yeah, I mean, but that's where I draw the line. I mean, come on, these people. I mean, how can you be a fan of Mr. Heckles? What is that? Come on, you know. There's just something about that character. I don't I, know what guess, it is. I even guess. my kids, even my kids, they're like, yeah. you're talking to Mr. Heckles? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm going to oh, talk to God. Mr. Heckles. I got a call from India the other day. They want me on their cameo, the India cameo. I saw you at that one. They want me on that. And I did. I signed up. Because why? Because... Friends are on India, and they like Mr. Heckles. Okay, I mean, fine. Look, I, I'm not against it. I just don't understand it. See, that, that's the mind blow. I'm not against it. It's what it is. You know, I'm, I'm just gone on to other things. But I still don't un- understand. I guess I don't understand fanness is what I don't understand. The, that, that, that trope. Uh, but I guess maybe because when I was a little kid, I mean, you know, who did I follow? Did I have any? I didn't have that. Now, maybe it was because I didn't have a family either. So, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of things I didn't have. So I guess that was just one of them. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, what do you call typos in my life. Let me say that. <laughs> and so, you know, I need to fill in some of the spaces and, you know, white out a couple of things. But, but um, no, I, I, don't, I don't think, white out is what they want now. The stuff that you wiped out in 1985 is the stuff that they want to read now. So it's, it's all about nostalgia. Mr. Yeah. Heckles would probably do really well right now with the whole COVID thing. He's, he would probably be like a, oh, he's probably a COVID, a COVID yeah. stay-at-home superstar. That's like, you could do that. Oh, that's all his role oh, right there. there you go. Thank you very much. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm writing a, I'm writing a, uh, a, a little, what do you call it? Um, a web, a webisode? Yeah, a webisode. Sure. So, but uh, that, that, that would be a good episode. That's, that's, there you go. <laughs> Just uh, throw me a credit. Yeah, no, it's yeah, yeah, sure, fine. Why not? You know. TikTok, uh, we'll get it on TikTok. That's we'll we'll get it on TikTok, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, that would be great. The oh man! But so, I mean, ask um, you, ask your wife about what 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 is it about? You don't even have to tell me, but 
But I, I, you know, because I'd like to get that in my next thing, whatever that is, you know. In the next we'll call her after. Well, right. after we hang up here, we'll call her. She'll tell you. Uh, no, I don't want to. <laughs> she would like. I, I don't want to. <laughs> All right. Because <laughs> the, the, the one the, time that I really wanted to know, and I found out I, I really didn't want to know, it had nothing to do with this. It, it was a war experience. I wanted to know. And he goes, no, I didn't know. And I got him drunk, and I really, you know, was in a bar. And then he told me, and I was huge. He should have brought me down for months. You know, I'd blown himself up, and he didn't, and he felt guilty. Well, it's just sad. He was, he was on a mission, a suicide mission. And he didn't get the blood. The Germans caught him before he could blow himself up, and he didn't. And, and then this was like years and years and years and years and years and later, and he was an alcoholic. And he, I figured, you know, that guy's got a story. Now, let me talk to him. So I did, three hours later, you know. Said, okay, fine. And I really felt, you know, boy. And he was kind of old, so in other words, he's carried that with him a whole a long time. Yeah, it does. <laughs> but that's, that's what the people want to know, the truth. The truth. The truth. You can the handle truth. the truth. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. They can't. So, you know? uh, that guy with the beer bottle couldn't. You know? Anyway. So, so Mr. Heckles, and then... Um, Old Joe, Brian, Old Breaking Joe. Bad, and you were in El Camino. El Camino, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I that was a great character. I liked Old Joe, too. And then, and that's why. You know, I think you get a shot at every, like, couple of characters. You can't, you can't hit, hit it out of the ballpark every time. I mean, I have, a, I have certain things I want to do with a character that, that are, pertain only to me. You know, no matter what it is, I'm trying to tell the story and help the writer and the director and hit my marks and remember my lines and all that. But there's also something that I, I want to do because when I watch it, I want to see if I'm able to do that. So I, I watch it. I always watch it. Actually, even when I don't get the audition, I watch it to see who did. Revenge, man. You got it? Not, <laughs> which not role, the which role do you wait? No, that's a, that's a casting people. You hired that guy over me? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> which role which role so you you were Tom Pepper in yeah. Seinfeld which just to recap for those uh, that was the Kramer character in the show when they were making the show about them yeah you, ever, so but you tried out for that role I think I read but many right? times for, for the Kramer role no I only I only uh, tried out no wait a minute that, that's an interesting question because they rang me uh, they ran me through the ringer uh, for one of those. I don't know whether it was for the Kramer role itself. But you see, now here's the thing. I, I do, for all the anger and judgmental and opinionated you know, bullshit that I come out with, and I, and I, I do my share of it, um, and I think that's okay, that every once in a while I'm, I'm right on. And when, when Michael Richards got that part, and I saw it, they made the right choice. I mean, there was no question in my mind. I mean, I, because uh, he, I mean, we, were, we were friends at one time. Well, I mean, still hard, but we just haven't seen each other. We just went our separate ways. But when we auditioned, we auditioned together because we looked alike. So we were there in the waiting room and we, we kind of, you know, were funny. And I had seen him on Friday or whatever that name of that show was. Fridays, so, yeah. And he had seen me on these shows. So we knew we were, we, we were both in the same kind of frame for, for characters. <clears throat> but, but he goes over and I go under. 
And and one time we actually acted together. We were hired to rob a, a restaurant together in, a, in an episode of a sitcom, a restaurant sitcom back in the 70s. And uh, we were brothers and we loved it. We loved that, that fact uh, because, oh man, they're using, you know, what, what we what we're separated from by one of us getting the part. So we did it. But then they had, we had a scene together when we escaped. We were driving in a truck. You know, you know, it's just on a green screen in a cab. But we had dialogue together about, you know, and he was driving and I was in a in the passenger seat back and forth. And so we were alone rehearsing it. And, you know, when actors get together, they kind of self-direct it. You know, hey, well, why don't you do this? Or maybe I could do that. Or, or, or is it okay if I do this? when you do that or you know you talk about it you, you just talk about it and then you agree but you don't change the words or anything you got you got to do what it says on the script so we did that but we got into this weird fight man because he wanted to go over and I wanted to go under and it's the weirdest I would have loved to have seen that it was two really good funny actors comic actors not actors but comic actors getting into a scene and pulling out all the stops to be right. And for, you know, if we wanted to do one or the other, yeah, but both of us wouldn't give an inch. So finally, so when we got back to the set to actually film it, um, we showed, I, I, either we showed the way we agreed to do it, which was begrudgingly, or I showed him my way, he showed him, but the, the upshot was, he said, look, let's just do it the way it's written, we're going to do it my way, you know, boom. So nobody got their way. But the conversation that we had about why, because, you know, once you, you know, why don't you do this and I'll do this? And then you say, no, I don't want to do that. He says, yeah, but if you don't do that, then I can't get my laugh. So I'm trying to convince you to do that. And then I won't do it if you, you know, and then, well, that's like childish shit. That's like, uh, I think it was the only time uh, that, that, that it ever happened. But it was the only time that I ever got to see what I knew about comedy, because it was, the only time that I was ever challenged. You know, you either weren't funny, and that's fine, okay, or I was funny, and that's fine. But for somebody to question it, that, that was never <laughs> happened. That, you know, how do I deal with this? You know, Because I respected him. I just wasn't a director, you know. So, I, I don't know. But that, yeah. Having, having watched Seinfeld uh, and having watched you in that role, I, you are like one of the only people I could see, like, had you gotten that role, looking back, I think it would have been just as great or, oh, or yeah. just great in a different way. A lot of times, like, they talk about these people, like, Hank Azaria was going to be Joey, and you're like, mm, no. no, I don't see that at all. And no, that because, would not have been good. It was because Joey, the actor who played Joey, brought Joey to the character. That wasn't written that way. That happens a lot, man. Where you, the, the, uh, an agent told me that when I, the, the first agent I ever had, I still talk to him, he's still my friend. Uh, I don't have any, I got rid of him a long time ago, but he told me, he said, Look, Larry, I, I, I didn't get the role, you know. It was in the, the very first or second thing. And he said, I said, I didn't get the role. Why? I did it so, I, I thought I did really good. He said, Larry, there's only two ways that you can get a role. It's either if you walk in the door and the role is yours and it's yours to lose. That's one way. You didn't lose it. You got it. And the second way is you come in and they are, you, they're not looking for you at all and you change their mind. You go, wow, if he would say these words. And, and, and that's what Joey did or the actor wow. who did that. 
Uh, and I've had that d- done to me, but there's sometimes where, you know, you can change the role. I mean, they'll change the writing because you come in. And John Houston told me, I see, I hang around with the directors, man, because they tell you some really good stuff about actors. So things for me to do or not to do. Because they're right there with the, it's what happens on, on, the, on camera, not what you discuss or, it's like lightning in a, in a bottle, man. But they tell you that. They, 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 they tell you about the lightning in the bottle, not, not the getting into it and the backstory and the, you know, being real. They, um, and he, he said, why would you direct? Because the really great directors don't direct. They, they, they talk with the cameraman and the cinematographer and they got the story in their head and they are great storytellers that they know how to tell through pictures and dialogue over an hour, an hour and a half. But, but John said that, he said, the whole thing about casting for a great director, well, I just asked him about casting. He said, is you, uh, that, that's 80% of your movie right there. He said, and your direction. He says, picking the right actor for the right part. That's 80% of the job. If you can do that, you, you, you're, you're a good director. And he said, but once you get the guy, once you get him in front of the camera, you stay away from him. All the directors say that. You don't touch him because you hired him because of the choices he's made. And the choices he makes, that's why you've seen him and he said, wow, man, i got to get him in my movie. So you don't want to... And, and that's what Al Pacino said about directors. He says, I just use them as a safety net because I like to take chances. You know they're watching. And they won't let you be bad. But they won't tell you what to do. They just won't let you be bad. That's, you know, that's a great director. But, I don't, you know, this is me, a, a, a Mr. Know-it-all actor... This is what oh, this I glean. Well, I, I glean this because I talk to the directors. I don't talk to the actors. The actors don't know. They, they know about character. And, that, and that's, that's cool, protecting the character. And that the character is... Uh, the character is always right. You know, your character is never... If you're playing the character. You know. You know, no character. Your mind won't let you do anything bad. Even if, even if your mind says... To kill you, to kill you. He's pointing at me, folks. Uh, even if, even if my character has to kill you, no, no question, got to shoot you. In the end of the scene, you're going to die. The audience knows it. I know it, and you know it. He's, he's got a reason. They're going to kill me, and they're going to torture me, and you're going to die in a second. I mean, in other words, I can make so that you got to protect your character, you know. And the script, you got to protect the script. So there's a lot, of, a lot of stuff. But but directors just say things that you never, or they do certain things you never expect them to do. You know, like stand up for you. Yeah, there's a there's something that you never see in life. To actually have somebody say, no, wait a minute, no, just excuse me a second, Larry. You know, <laughs> unload on this person because you were you were right. You know, whoa. And nobody's ever done that in real life, you know. They let it slide, or you know, <laughs> or, you know well, Larry, listen, then you keep your mouth shut, right? <laughs> oh, no, no, keep your mouth shut, right? <laughs> How was it working with John Hughes? John John Hughes was was great, but very moody, very 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 moody. Uh, he he didn't talk much. He he liked he liked he liked to watch. He was a voyeur. He liked to watch. 
Well, which is another, I guess, a, a great director. Which, which is really weird because a friend of mine, I think, is a bad director because he likes to watch. In other words, he's a voyeur. He's not. I don't think he's thinking about the story. I think he's thinking about watching two people get naked in front of him. Not, not, not. Uh, what literally naked, but visually or, or emotionally naked. He, he just. He, I don't know. He just zones out. I don't know. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, they're 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 really honest, especially in front of the ca- when the cameras are around, and they, and they know about people like uh, John Hughes. John Hughes, John Hughes. What was John Hughes like? Well, he li- he liked what we were doing, and I liked who I was acting with. So we were all like like a, a group when the camera was there, but when he wasn't there, like you know, he was a multitasker too. I remember one day when I came into a uh, a huge multi rescue. I guess that's the great thing about about a genius, because maybe he was a genius. I mean, his his movies, his oeuvre. Was was really amazing if you think about it, and the, and, and the characters he got out of the actors were, were really great. Um, he was. I went in for a a costume a fitting at a, uh, Western Costume in Chicago when I was meeting. Uh, she's having a baby, and he was in the costume room. He had a typewriter, you know, just an old typewriter. I don't even think that was the internet then, or or laptops. But he was typing. And I came in, I said, hi, John. And he goes, hi, there's a costume over there on the, on the table there. Put that on, let me see that. But he kept on typing. And then uh, his wife was there and his child was there. They were waiting for him. They were literally standing next to the table that he was typing at, waiting for him. And he was just typing. Um, and he was answering things about the kid. He, the kid was talking about this school or something. About his either he was going to be late for school, or he's going to, or, or John was going to drive him to school, and I don't know. So but there was that conversation, and he was talking to his wife. He was typing, and then I came back with a costume on, and he was judging my costume, and he was saying no, put, and he, and there was a costume lady there, so he was saying no, don't let him wear. I don't want him to wear the vest, but put that hat on him. Let me see if that hat goes on. And then he typed, and then uh, right before I left, he said, okay, fine, you go. He was still talking to his kid about the school thing. He said, yeah, yeah, in a minute. She's like, I gotta just let me just finish this. So the kid was bugging him about that, and his wife was talking about something for dinner. And I asked him about the screenplay, and he said, no, this is my next screenplay. I said, are you correcting the screenplay? He said, no, this is my next one. So there's my picture of John Hughes. I mean, it's like if you ask me, you know, it, and then on the set he's a different person, and then when he took us to a party, he was a totally moody guy. And he fired somebody just like that. I mean, there was an AD around. He had about three, and one of them just was missing one day. I said, what happened to John? John the AD. He said, I don't know. He was here, uh, but John fired him. Why? I don't know. I mean, they, they're... They're, they're uh, I guess... <laughs> it's like weird. Their headspace is at a much higher level than mine. You know, they've got a big movie in their head, plus they're making judgments that I have no idea what, what their parameters are. So when they're talking to you, they're, they're coming at you from a different level. John, John Houston was like that. I mean, you can see that. Or um, so certain people, you can just see that. Man, they're on another level. They're just, uh, wow, that's, that's kind of neat. Makes you want to be there. I guess I have to read more books, you know, or see more movies. I don't know what. Uh, John John Houston was like that. 
He was he was cool. He uh, want to hear some John Houston story? You got time? Yeah, I do. Uh, John John Houston was really cool that way. First of all, he stuck up for me twice. Now I do I do a lot of wrong things and I say a lot of wrong things, but um, and you know and I apologize or I just go on with my life. You know that's that's how I'm. That's why. I, so uh, the and oh, during the audition I was being. Because auditions sometimes are cattle calls, and, and, and you're just being treated rudely. Not, not badly, not like cattle, but, yeah, you know, I mean, you could be more comfortable. They could stagger it a little more so you don't have to wait so long, or blah, blah, blah. But you go, you know, because you need the money and you want the job, or you think uh, you want to work with that director. So I was there, and then this lady comes in. It was for Annie. And she says, and she was the casting director, and she, she comes out. So I guess it was an important part, to her anyway. So she says, yes, Larry, you're next. So she, and, she, and, and then she guides me. She, she's got her hands on me, right? So she's behind me, and she's got her hands on, her, on my shoulder. She's steering me, basically. And she comes in, and he's on a set somewhere. I don't know. I was on a, on a movie set. <clears throat> so is that a studio. She, and she steers me towards him. He's sitting there watching his uh, rushes on a, on a screen. She steers me to him. She, she steers me over to him. He's looking at the screen. She steers me. She gets me in a night, night, right plate. I was a hippie by, at the time, so my hair was down on my shoulder. So she takes her, my hair, gathers it from the back, and by, and by now he's turning around looking at it, and he goes, what are you doing? That was the first, first thing he said to, I guess, her. What are you doing? And she says, oh, very polite. She says, oh, I'm just uh, putting his hair back so you can see because he's going to be the dog catcher. It was a 1930s movie, and he's going to have to shave your, his hair off. So I just wanted you to see that. And he says, number one, please don't touch my actors. Number two, I'm a director I have imagination. Leave my actors alone. Don't touch them. She goes like this, she goes away. And she says, uh, Larry, uh, you're here for the dog catcher. Dog catcher, right. Um, you, you know what the role is? I mean, do you have the side? Yeah, I've read it. You want to do it? Yeah. Okay, thank you very much. Next. And she was about to go like that. And I left. Okay, so, so, okay, don't touch my actors. He, he stood up for me. I thought, you know, a small little thing, but hey, it's a win. <clears throat> when I, my day to shoot, it had just rained the night before. I come on the set. It's an outdoor set. They're on a campus somewhere. It's Annie. I don't know. It's an outdoor set. As indoors, big thing, I don't know, maybe it's at a studio or something, but I go indoors. I'm looking through my costume because of my, the assistant costume designer, uh, who was a guy who uh, was, uh, was, was extremely uh, anal retentive. And uh, everything was spick and span and ship shape. So I'm there at my uh, rack of my costumes. And there's only one costume. I'm a dog catcher. It was a dog catcher costume. So there's shirts and blah, blah, blah. And uh, some guy comes over, this guy. I'll, I'll call him uh, Lance. Lance comes in and he goes, uh, what are you doing here? The, the same thing as, the, as that lady years ago. What are you doing here? 
I asked that lady, she said, she's a designer, she said I could look at my costumes. Oh, well, I have your costume. Oh, great. Where is it? Here. He's got it in his hand. See, a dog catcher, right? Yeah. So he's got it in his hand, and it's, you know, it's uh, it's this color, you know? I always have a... Uh, I'm, I'm holding up a tan block of wood, a two-by-four, that's approximately nine inches. There. That color. Um, and... Um, I always have that. It's a it's a little di diagram diagramistic thing. Um, so he has, and it's it's starched and ironed and folded into a square about fourteen by fourteen inches, and it's about an inch and a half thick. It looks like very thick cardboard or several layers of cardboard, about an inch and a half of cardboard layers. That's what it looks like, totally flat. And I look at it and. My father, when I was a little kid, my father used to get starched white shirts, and he'd get the starch, and he'd let me, because I love to do it, he'd let me peel it open, peel a sleeve, I remember peeling the sleeves up, and you go, and then you'd stick your hand in and try to, you know, get it through, and it was all squashed and pasted down. So I looked at it, and I go, I'm not going to wear that. He goes, what do you mean? I go, that's, that's cleaned, it's pressed, it's starched. I'm a dog catcher, it's 1930. I've been carrying around dogs all day. It's 1930. What? How? No, I'm not wearing that. And he goes, yes, you are. That's the costume that's been chosen for you. And I go, no, I'm not. I'm not wearing it. No, I'm a dog catcher. I'm sorry. And he gets really, you know, up, uptight and, and antagonistic. And he says, you are going to wear this or we're going to Mr. Houston. And I go, okay, let's go to Mr. Houston. And he, go, and he goes, fine. So he marches me out and he's got this thing like a platter. Like it's like a little tray and he's a servant. He's got this platter on his hand. And he goes, okay. And he marches and I'm following him. And he says, you know, don't fall behind. I said, no, don't worry. I'm going with you. So we go outside and there's puddles around. But the sun is out, it's a blue sky. But there's puddles around. So we're walking and it's like a, a college campus type of thing. I don't know. So anyway, there's the camera and there's, there's John Houston. And he's looking at, you know, at his at rushes and then his little director's chair. And he's looking the other way. And we're marching up and he goes, <clears throat> and John Houston turns around. And he faces us both. And he looks at me, he goes, oh, hi, Larry. And hi, you know, Lance. Well, what, what's, what's going on here? And Lance says, all right, look, this is the costume for the dog catcher. This is the costume. This is his costume. This is the, the actor uh, who's going to play the dog catcher. This is his costume. He will not put this on. Larry, you don't want to put this on? No. Why is that? Well, because I'm a dog catcher and I'll be dirty and I'm carrying around dogs all the time and it's starched and it's cleaned and it's pressed and I'm not wearing it. He goes, uh-huh. Oh, now he's, he's not holding it. The, the, Lance is holding it. So he goes, uh, Lance, please give me that. Lance gives him the cardboard platter. John Hughes gets up out of his chair. He's a very tall man. He's at least six foot four, if not five, and lanky. He gets up, gray hair, lanky guy, man. And he walks over to the nearest, biggest puddle. And in his shoes, his regular shoes, he just walks into the middle of this big puddle. And he, as he's walking, he, oh, he's opening 
the the mechanics, you know, coveralls. He gets into the middle of the puddle and he just drops it in and then he walks all over it in the puddle and he stomps on it. And then he very delicately picks with his forefinger and his thumb, he picks it up dripping wet, holding it at arm's length and he brings it back to Lance. And he says, Lance, put uh, put this in 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 a dryer, dry this off and put it on this actor. Thank you, Larry. Thank you, Lance. And he turns around and he watches his and rushes. That's class. That's cool. That's a that's a good guy. That's a guy that's a guy I want to watch. Yeah. He's okay. That's a really great story. You got a million great stories. Well, I'm gonna make I'm writing a book and I'm gonna do my own podcast. I mean just 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 me like a like a record album of of, of my stories. But and a book too. So thank you for that because that's a, I think I'm on the right track. Whew. Yeah, I think you are. Thanks. Looking forward to your book. Okay. Looking forward to your manuscript. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so much yeah. to look forward to. Oh, I well, can I just get... Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, but can I interrupt? Plug, just plug away. Tell people yeah, how to away. find yeah. you online. The real, the real LarryHankin.com. The real LarryHankin.com. I got my paintings up there, my prints. There's going to be T-shirts up there of my paintings that you can get on your T-shirt. Um, I got my films, my videos, mine that I made and produced and acted in. Homeless Guy... Uh, Emmett Demas and sometimes Jones. I got my stories up there, my book up there. So uh, the real LarryHankin.com, and I and it's not LarryHankin.com. LarryHankin.com was bought by a guy when I turned my back for a second, and he's trying to uh, hold me up for a million dollars, and I won't do it. So the real Larry Hankin, okay? The real LarryHankin.com. That's it. And anything else, I'm coming out with a book and other stuff, you know. But there you go. There you go. Larry, thank you for just all you've given to everyone. Uh, so many great roles, so many great memories. I, oh, thank you. I thank, thank you, you for much. everybody. And okay, thanks thank for joining you, me. I'm honored. Thank you. And, and Jeff is funny, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Right, take it easy. And we'll see you next time. All right. That was so much fun talking to Larry Hankin. Mr. Eccles. Ah! After he was so cool, he called me. And I got my wife on the phone, who's like the biggest Friends fan, and she got such a kick. Uh, she got all fangirly. It was awesome. Yeah, so that was really cool. But check out all Larry's website, his art, his short films that he puts online. Great, amazing stuff. Also, don't forget to follow the podcast, at Jeff DeWaskin on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Follow us on Apple, like, subscribe, tell all your friends about this great interview and all the other great episodes, and we'll see you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you've heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show, and we'll see you next time.